UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, Howling in the Street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. Great. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Septic Podcast. I have another fascinating guest with me today. You might have seen my current guest on um, the podcast. You might have seen him on Alpha Vedic. That's a show I watch a lot. Or uh, Open Your Reality with Chad. You know, Chad's been on my show. Um, and uh, who I'm talking about is James True. Um, he has a degree in philosophy um, slash religion. He did that while he was serving his U.S. Navy as a sub hunter. After graduation, he worked as an art de- director in newspaper business and published syndication cartoon strip. He taught himself software engineering. Um, but what, what he's really known for, without getting into his whole bio, is like what he's really known for is his books and his YouTube live streams, where he drops like a ton of knowledge. Um, and his books are the book, The Art of Bathmet. Uh, the best apocalypse ever, blueprints for mind control, quantum rapture, the light belief. And uh, if you haven't checked out one of his live streams, you have to. It's at youtube.com slash James True. And uh, yeah, I, I hope I can keep up with the conversation. He's really, really well, well learned. And I want to give him a big warm welcome to the show. Oh, James, thank you for having me. me. I'm How looking are you? forward to this talk. Good to be here. Yeah. I tried to pick up some stuff I heard in your interview with Chad from Open Your Reality that I thought would be interesting for us to talk about. One of the things that I wanted to start off with is you, I know you've delved a lot into like psychiatry, psychology, mm-hmm. and philosophy. And I don't know if it, I tend to really ponder about a lot because that voice inside your mind that's kind of telling you what to do stuff. And then, and then we have our intuition, which kind of guides us as well. But what I'm talking about is like people get voices in their head that aren't that, aren't that, that, that are like so what we would classify as like schizophrenic or, mm-hmm. um, or, or psychotic behavior. But what, what I was getting at with this was, and this is where it inter- ties into your work, was did anybody ask you if you ever thought these were entities? Like that this could be some outside influence interfering into people's lives and in the way they perceive reality is distorted because, or do you think that's a, a real psychological issue that people are dealing with? Or do you think um, it could be both? I, I believe that demons, possession, uh, any type of psychological splintering that, that's talked about in any way, whether it be schizophrenia, that would be a type of splintering where you're you're uh, bisecting a, a personality and, and, and it doesn't have to necessarily be you. In fact, it takes on a, uh, a, a kind of life that is not you. It, it's coming from outside yourself. A targeted individual is someone that fits in the same realm. So I'm calling targeted TIs, targeted individuals, uh, demon possessions, uh, psychological splintering, uh, including the schizophrenia, what people would sometimes now try and call bipolar disorder or multiple personality disorders, that all of these aspects um, are actually tied into the same realm as UFO phenomenon, which really comes down to how we choose to classify, see, and dress energy. You and I will dress energy. We will put it in a costume. And the costume that we put it on is something that allows us to feel comfortable enough to even see it in the room. If you look at the history of UFO sightings from the by the alien life form, it's always directly in line with where we are 
technologically with ourselves. The old UFOs were flying dragons in the sky, literally described as snake-like dragons, uh, dragons with snake-like bodies that, that floated through the sky. The moment we developed uh, fire, the moment that we had the ability with farming and agriculture, these uh, same entities began to have steam or vapor or light cloud uh, kind of power, the pillar of light of Yahweh in the Old Testament. As, as society grows, so too does our costuming that we give supernatural energy. This is energy by definition that is super above what we would deem natural. So what we deem natural is what we're comfortable with. And we encounter energy that is supra comfortable above that comfort level. We are looking for a costume to place it in. We're, we're, we don't see it directly. Our amygdala literally filters that information out. It senses how fearful our bodies get. Our polyvagus nerve will bind up and clench. This is what we call fight-flight response, but that your psychology does this on a much more subtle way. And that we will see things that are, that are not necessarily what the truth is, but we will see what is comfortable for us to interpret them as. When you look at the truth movement today, you see this all around. You see people watching a paradigm where they believe there are two political parties, where they believe every single thing that they're told on the news, where they're believing every story that they're told. You're watching the exact same thing happen. The, the energy has to be put in a costume that the person can accept. So this is a, a, a way of understanding all of these things as more dealing with the aperture's consciousness, our, the ability of one's uh, comfort level when, when one sees energy is directly proportional, excuse me, is directly proportional to what that energy will actually look like inside their retina as their mind renders it, renders it on the screen. So, so you're you're saying that the the aliens, the demons. I, I mean, I have to agree with you because, like, if you look at like old like Celtic literature, they would be talking about that they would get abducted by like a, they would call it like a glend or a mist. Yes. So instead of saying they were taken up by a ship, they were they said that that and it it related in that way. So you're saying that this energy is all similar that we're that it's something that we really can't define with scientific terms, so we kind of give it names. Yeah. So what happens is, is that I believe what's truly happening is, is that all of us have a first eye, a primal way that we're reading information from the world. Um, I, I believe that this is through our pineal, that the very first thing that happens is the raw source comes in through your pineal and it's uh, subdivided into dimensions. It's sent to our ears. It's sent to our eyes. It's sent to uh, our nose, although that's a little bit different. It's sent to all 36 of our senses. We don't have seven senses. We have 36. But but all 36 of these senses are, are sent information directly from our first eye, our pineal gland. I'm calling it the first eye just because it's, it's receiving the signal first. So your reptile core, the pond's brain, the living consciousness of your pond's brain in the center, it looks like a, a, a club. Um, it, is, it is a half a second ahead in reality of every single thing that your uh, mammalian brain and your primate brain interprets, your neocortex, the id, the ego, the psychology of who you think you are is exactly a half a second behind your pond's brain. 
So what I'm suggesting is your pons receives everything, every signal, no matter how terrifying, no matter how scary it is, it senses all and it filters through. And when it passes through your amygdala, the first thing it does is it goes your, your occipital lobe and it paints a picture of what it thinks the environment should look like matching all the things that your first eye senses. So it paints trees, rocks, walls, microphones, you, me, it paints us all. But before it paints us, it passes it through the amygdala, which is attached to your hippocampus. It's at the very center of your brain. It looks like a, a, a like a, a floating arch. <clears throat> and this thing determines how freaked out you are when you see something. And if it senses that you're seeing something that's too freaked out, it restricts the flow of dopamine into your retinal walls. And without dopamine, three blind mice, that is actually a true adage in science, that if, that if mice do not have dopamine, they cannot see. They physically cannot see without the chemical of joy. Uh, you know, not exactly the joy chemical, but this responsible for your sight, which means that as long as you're feeling comfort in what you see, your retinas are going to be rendering something to your eyes. But the moment it predicts that you're not comfortable, it surfs away, it takes away that information and it paints it with something that doesn't cause the same kind of trauma, the same kind of fear. So our entire reality is painted with this filter, this amygdala, and that's why when we talk about even Sasquatch fits into the same category, that we will try and render energy, supernatural energy, as best we can by putting it in a costume that we can physically relate to and keep it in the room and not freak out. That's amazing. But the way you made, the way you, you the way you, I mean, and I often think about this at times, like, I know you talked about with Chad, like if we're in like a simulated reality, but I, I kind of think that like, it's kind of both. I think we could, we could, we could be existing in a holographic universe, but at the same time be biological creatures. Like the way you just explained like the brain and the way that our body reacts to certain things. Like it reminds me that we're like biological computers. That's what it really sounds yeah. like. Is that kind yeah, of what rendered. we are? Yeah, it's rendered earth. It's not a simulated earth. It's a rendered earth. You render this earth and you render that earth for a very specific reason. Why does a video card render a game? Like what, what really is the point? If you understand that the code itself of the video uh, of the game doesn't really give a shit who wins. So why would the render, why would the video card even bother to render it all? Like, couldn't just the programming be real and kick ass and, and couldn't it just exist on its own? Why do we have to have a video card? And the reason why we have to, have to have a video card is to allow you and me to witness, to witness the experience of this. The experience of the video game is what made the entire video game built is the whole purpose. It wasn't to punish you. It wasn't to reward you, even though the video game feels like it's punishing you or rewarding you at some times, right? It has nothing to do with that. It's strictly about, uh, it, it has your witness. It wants you to experience it. it. The game is built to make you want to experience it more, even when it's painful. It, it needs to feel so real, so, so engaging. So it's not a simulation because that would mean that there's one painter who's fooled everyone, who's gone out there and painted this thing that's outside of you and then put you inside it and saying it. And I'm saying it's so much more profound than that. This is rendered earth, that you are the painter and that you are painting the reality that you're receiving from a single source feed, which everyone receives, but that you are in charge of exactly how you're going to paint that. And the answer to how that is painted is not based on any philosophical thought you've adopted. It's purely based on the somatic posture, 
the adrenaline versus the cortisol that is invoked as you start to see it. The moment the cortisol, the stress starts to seep through your system, the moment your muscles, the ability for your video card to render start to have atrophy and give up. They say, I don't, I can't, I, this lactic acid, it builds up fear, it builds up doubt, it fills up freaking out. And we're unable to keep rendering those frames. It's just too, too much heat for us. So we don't, which means you could look at this experience as uh, an opportunity for us as video cards to learn to render more, to learn to render even more about reality. But when the reality is so bright, it burns us. We need to practice our muscle. It's a muscle. Aperture is a muscle. And the more uh, things that you found uncomfortable that you're able to witness and see, the more weights you are learning to pick up over and over day after day. And so you end up with a stronger muscle to see truth that is so violently difficult to even picture that most around you would not even render it on their screen. They would literally look at you and say, no, all I see is Republicans and Democrats having a lively debate about, about whether or not we should invade a country. Yeah. One thing I wanted to get into with you about is, I don't know if you talked about this much, but I, I, I picked up on it in your Alpha Vedic interview. You knew you mentioned that like Untapishtim and you mentioned a couple other ancient texts, like you you were really familiar with them. So like, what makes me think about that is going back to the Anunnaki, like when I'm thinking about our reality and like, what, what is the whole reason we're here? And if we're in a render game, like, do you think that someone placed us here? Like, if you look at like the old stories, like the Atrahasis, the Atrahasis says the Anunnaki created humans. And then if you look at the Mayan folklore, it'll, it'll say that Quetzalcoatl was the genetic engineer for the humans. Like, do you follow in this? Do you feel like some other beings or, you know, whether it was the Anunnaki or Quetzalcoatl or whoever, like, and, and I'm sure if you go from culture to culture, there's a story of some other race interacting with humans, but that seems to be the case. It seems like every culture has this story. I don't know if it's something that we make up or we, we create these archetypes like the gods, or do you think that the gods once walked with man and that they, they might've created us or, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? So Quetzalcoatl is also the, uh, known as the, the, the white bringer, the, the one who, who comes and goes. And, and when he returns, he usually comes sometimes from the north. He's dressed in a white robe. He's an albino-esque type figure. Albino is, is Noah. N Noah was an albino too. Uh, described this way at his birth, his father freaks out, thinks his wife's been cheating on him with yeah. someone else because he has a, an albino son. The reason why that albino is so important and, and this isn't answering your question directly, but I need to say this first so I can answer your question directly. The reason why the albino is so important is because the albino lacks melanin. There's no melanin inside their skin. Melanin is the opposite of dopamine. When we see something that is uncomfortable, we will apply melanin to try and blot it out. It absorbs the information of source and allows us to absorb something easier. So when we understand what this world truly is, I would like for you to go back to the Vedic idea and instead consider that Quetzalcoatl, being the white albino, is the white blood cell inside a humunculus earth, a giant earth in which you and I are cells inside this body. 
And just as a cell is inside a body of, of a larger organism, we see the larger organism around us and we render it. We give it a horizon and we give it a horizon because we want to feel comfortable with our bearings. So we need a bearing to render a horizon on so we know which way is up. We give it a zodiac. We literally carve into the walls of our rendering wall the stars. So that gives us this idea of time, of navigation, of a long enough clock to where a giant humunculus body, something much older, something much larger than we are as a single cell, would have time expressed in. So you'd need something as slow as the stars to be moving to track that. The stories of Enoch, the scribe, is simply our cells writing our RNA. It's our RNA inside your cell. What are you doing? You're constantly copying your own RNA signal over and over again. Transcription, DNA transcription, is the constant practice of saying, I am, 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 I am. You're repeating yourself over and over again. You're transcribing yourself into the system. This is the thought, the book of Toth, writing down all of your truth as you're being <clears throat> as you're being lived. So to survive is to transcribe, to copy yourself, to declare yourself, I am, I am, I am, is to live. Which brings us back to the question you're asking. Please imagine that the reason why all this is here is because it has no choice but to express itself. God, this very rough term I'm using, the entity of, of allness that we that we seem to feel and know is so diverse, is so complex, that this God would require an intricate vessel to hold itself and declare itself. And that intricate develop vessel would require such a depth that there would be need to be a universe inside of each of its cells. And so you are that universe. I am that universe inside this same larger body. To look at God is to look at your own body and to see as God sees. You see everything in this world except your face. It's the only thing you personally cannot directly perceive. You take my word for your face. You take a mirror's word for your face. This truth brings you back to the idea that this is a rendered earth and that we are rendering one cell of God, each of us are. So this idea that all of us are one is true and false. This idea that all of us are interconnected is true. We see the landscape of how we're interconnected. <clears throat> we render it as a physicality, but really it's the witness consciousness that we have, that there's a symbiotic relationship between all of the cells in our community and all these cells inside a country really would just be an organ that literally the kidney itself could be the country of Pakistan, that the, uh, the financial center um, of the brain could be London, that the uh, soul of the world could be uh, Hong Kong, or even soul for that matter. We, the body is so large that we cannot consciously effervescence ourselves, sorry, we cannot consciously understand ourselves completely unless we were to splinter ourselves into trillions of, of separate universes. So that's what we are. We are the living Vedic God. There's no fake, there's no simulation. This would be required for God to even exist. There would need to be a physical structural architecture to express the grand fractal of who it is. 
So we are completely necessary to this equation. There's no end goal. We are simply the expression of what would have to, to exist in order for us to express how complex and profound we are. That's amazing. So, so we're basically, we're one of, we're a piece of God. You're saying that we're, it's almost like when you hear people in the new age say that like, we're, we're consciousness expressing itself. Like, it's like, so you're in that kind of theory. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. It's hard to imagine that it couldn't be that way because of the fact that you were, you were out there. I've never met you before. We've contacted via email, but for, I've been here for 51 years and I've never once seen you. But you have a diverse universe just waiting. You have a complex, diverse universe waiting. And you and I are connected. I know that because we speak the same language. We have the same cell, the same cells in the same body have a method of contacting each other. And there's a universal uh, internet inside your body where every cell inside your body can talk to every other cell inside your body. And until each cell understands that it's part of this larger whole, which we call you or me, then our cells might fight with each other. They might have wars with each other and they might decide that all these cells are wrong, but our, all of our cells are right. And that turbulence would be your own body, your own somatic body becoming what? Conscious of itself. So we are the expression of ourselves becoming conscious of ourselves because we are the expression of God becoming conscious of itself. And it's not even where... God has to become conscious of itself. I think that we are lost in time, so we don't understand how complex it is, which is why we need this sort of fan of time where God is both unconscious and conscious of himself and all the realms in between simultaneously, but he requires you and I to be stuck on a timeline at the very tip of the fin to interpret just this one little part of his consciousness, which just shows you just how vast and amazing all of this is. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And, and do, so do you, do you go about, do you believe that there's actually a God, like some kind of, we, that we are the God that we, we created this somehow? Like, and, and what, yeah. like, what, what, do you go deeper? What are your thoughts on like the afterlife and reincarnation and all that stuff? Like, where does that all fall in your line of thinking? So um, if you imagine that a child plays with blocks, wooden blocks, because he's trying to pretend to be his dad because his dad is a carpenter and his dad plays with big blocks. You start to realize there's sort of a conundrum here. What I mean is, is that you were a child before you were an adult, which means that you were playing pretend blocks long before you were actually playing with real wood. You, you, you were a child before you were a man, but we have a world where we understand that the reason why a child plays with blocks is because his dad is a carpenter. But, but if his dad was a carpenter, his dad would come after his son, not before his son. And I'm trying to explain to you that this is a, a the, the world would absolutely have to be a Mandelbrot fractal. The consciousness itself would have to have the beginning and the ending in the room at the same time. And that it would be impossible for you to ever look at this place as beginning, chicken, then egg, then end, or beginning, egg, then chicken, that none of that works, that the only way it would work is that the chicken and the egg were spawned at the same time. They were spawned into existence. They were instantiated. They were not created. They were spawned. It's a different sort of endeavor. This gets us into thinking about code because for something to be spawned, it has to be pulled from a library. The vertebrate library of all living life is a code library. 
you can go to GitHub and literally download Vertebrae and change one variable. And now you have a platypus, right? Because you chose Vertebrae number 168429. And you picked this location and this time frame, and you got a platypus. And, that, and that's what came out. You spawned it into that creation. So we understand, if we think of this way, we understand God doesn't have to be, nor could he be created or destroyed. God is simply is. And that isness can only be expressed through this conceptualization of being spawned to people like you and me who have time. You and I are algorithms locked into a timeline. The one thing that's interesting about our consciousness is that we, we begin life and then we go, and then we end. We don't have life where we skipped along. We lived for three years, then we died for 17. Then we came back to life and we lived for 26 years, then we died for four. We don't live that way. We have a running process that launches, it begins, and it ends when it ends. And there's nothing you can do about it, no matter how early it was or no matter how long it went or no matter how awful you are. There's this linear part of time. That should be a clue, a huge clue to all of us that, about what our purpose is. Our purpose is to render our life. That's our purpose. So why are we rendering our life? I think it comes back to why is the video game rendering to the video card? Why? So the ultimate answer seems to be God is experiencing himself. He has no choice but to experience himself. And the only way he could experience himself is to have all these cells inside of his body become sentient. No different than taking a a plane of pixels on a monitor and deciding you're red, you're green, you're blue, you're red, you're green, you're blue, and painting a fantasy picture for no other purpose than a human that's not in the computer, that's never seen the computer, that has no relation to the computer, except for they built the computer. So we learn the ontology of who we are simply by looking at what we have and what we don't have built into this, this rendered system. It tells us a lot more than old books or any of, or, you know, or any theories or whatever else or any experts. Simply looking at what is really gives you so many more answers, I think. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, I noticed you break down reality into like martial arts belts, which I can really relate to because I, I did martial arts for a long time. I did jujitsu. I did taekwondo. I did, you know, like I'm, I'm really, and I, I feel like they, 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 they help build your character. They, they help make you stronger mentally, physically. So um, I can really relate to that, but like, can you explain to the audience, like how you break down each of your emotions or, um, or or into the, in the belt phases yeah i uh basically um we find ourselves in dojo earth this entire existence you if if you're ready as an initiate if you're ready you can start to call this a dojo like you to picture <laughs> that you were born in complete uh ignorance and that what happened is is that your mom god said, hey, do you want to take karate? And you said, yes. You said, I would love to go take karate. So she drives you to the karate studio. And when you walk in the door, you're instantly hit with amnesia. It's how the karate works. This is a special kind of karate class. That amnesia is your birth. You came here to do karate. You're here in karate class. And the first thing you have is you have a sensei that's kicking your ass. He's Every time he stands up, he sweeps his leg under your feet, and knocks you on your ass. And the class laughs at you. 
And see, because you have amnesia, you don't know you're here in a class. You think I'm here to be bullied in this world. And you start to paint the world as if this is a place that's here to bully me. It's here to laugh and mock me and kick me and, and make me worse. Even though the sensei is saying, get up, even though the classmates are even encouraging you, the fact that someone is here tricking you, catching you off your guard, has made you decide that this is all a place of evil, that this place is, is not good. Even though you were in the car with your station wagon, in the station wagon with your mom just, just 45 minutes ago, saying, I'm really excited about going into karate. So this is dojo earth. Your life is not here to be bullied. You were here because this is a dojo. You were here to learn vitriol. The vitriol and strife that comes from a world that has scarcity economy, that has a natural law, that has a predator built into it, is going to elicit vitriol from you. You're going to have no choice but to grow or not grow, survive or not survive. So you find yourself in various states of survival. These states are these belts, these colored belts. You will find yourself in a state of anger, the belt of red. You will find yourself in a situation where suddenly you're angry. You will find yourself in a situation where suddenly you're a yellow belt. You have fear. You will find yourself in a situation where you're white belt, where you're embracing ignorance. All of these different belts have strong points and weak points, and we cannot really dismiss any of them because we will always find ourselves wearing one. This is not something where you master white belt and it doesn't happen again. This is not true. You will find yourself in a position where you're wearing a white belt simply because you did not have enough energy that you were able to bring to the table. And the amount of energy that you have is directly proportional to the amount of tactics you use to face the energy or the vitriol you're facing. The person with the least, least amount of energy faces it with white belt. He, why? He pleads ignorance. He covers his eyes. He says, I do not see. I'm a sheep. I do not see the truth, which protects me because I am simply blind to all danger. Now, we can make fun of that. We can say it's the worst tactic. We can say it's the problem in the world. But that exact same tactic allows us to survive when we don't have any energy. We would die if we were to simply face the truth. We would just run out of energy. We would spontaneously combust. When we have enough energy, we can afford something fancy. The very first luxury that a white belt affords is called fear. If the white belt saves enough energy, they will no longer be ignorant. They will afford the energy of fear. They will say, my God, I'm afraid. And now this person is competing. He's destroying all the other white belts because he's ruining their state of white belt this because he's telling them that he's afraid. This is why it's so expensive. You have to have energy to be afraid. So yellow belt is not something to be afraid of. It's something to be proud of. It means that you have some energy despite your white belt ways. After fear comes red belt where you actually become angry. You're angry because you are being violated. Something is happening that's violating your, your righteousness. Now, the red has problems just as the red has liberation. The yellow has problems just as the yellow has liberation. The white has problems just as the white has liberation. There's green belt. Green belt is the art of compassion. The reason why this belt is so important is because compassion is not consent. You've been brought up in a world where you think that if you are going to show compassion for someone, it means that you agree with them or that you consent to their actions. But the karate master does not use compassion to consent. The karate master uses compassion to understand his opponent on the mat. 
So when we understand why everyone does everything they do, the idea of things are good or things are evil drops away completely. And we begin to see the world for what it truly is. That I am the bringer of good. I am the bringer of evil in every breath I take, which means I cannot sit there and say, you're evil and I'm good. It's not going to work. So this compassion takes us above anger. It takes us above fear. It takes us above ignorance. Compassion has its problems. We tend to become uh, cucks with too much compassion. But compassion allows us to see our enemy better than anyone else. Mike Tyson had more compassion for his opponent in the ring than anyone else at Madison Square Gardens. No one else had put more thought and witness and, and forethought and focus and love even into his opponent's jaw than Mike Tyson's fist. It's that kind of compassion. It's a very particular power that requires a lot of energy because to compassionate someone is to literally pour and spend calories plasma to simulate someone else's video card for the very first time you were simulating someone else's video card and that requires so much uh, so much current that many of us cannot afford it so we will stay in red belt or yellow belt or white belt so these are just four of the belts there's more but these are just four of them and it's not about <clears throat> mastering each as much as, or uh, 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 passing each one as much as it about realizing that if someone catches you at the wrong time, you're going to find yourself in white belt. It doesn't matter how wise or how great you think you are. And learning to see your own belts, learning to see other people's belts just helps you so much in this world because you're no longer able to embrace the victimhood of it all. You now know that this is a dojo. You can't crawl into fetal position in the corner and say the evil or elite are doing this to me because they're the bad guys and I'm the good guy. You realize that, no, that's not how this works at all. I'm the living embodiment of God. I'm a living, talking, rendering cell. And here I am whining in the corner because I'm insisting that the entire body of God is against me, even though I'm the cell here. I'm living, it's, I'm its living embodiment. And this would be the very quest of God to become conscious, to become sentient, just as we are to become conscious and sentient too. Literally, as above, so below, as below, so above. It's, it's amazing how much that resonance really sings the truth all the time. You just have to listen to it is all. And you can't listen if you're too yellow belt, if you're too red belt. You know, Listening requires this flow state, which is a, a different kind of existing. It's when we cease to become a noun and become a verb. That's where I think a lot of this stuff really makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I, I was going to talk to you about flow state. I think flow state's really um, uh, amazing. Like you can do, people have been able to accomplish some amazing things like with flow state. And then flow state can be accomplished with a lot of different things. Like you can be get into a flow state with martial arts. You can get into flow state programming a computer. Like it's just when you hit that certain um, gear that you're, everything's kind of working correctly, right? And what I was going to say was, um, with with flow state, um, have you noticed that people can do amazing things with their chi? And where does that energy come from? Like our chi or prana? Like, and why do you think we don't use it? So that's a lot of questions. But like, sorry, that's all right. We we do use it. We we like to say that we don't have power. Most of society is convinced convincing ourselves each other that there's no such thing as magic and there's no such thing as power. This is why we shit on the ego all the time. Most society says, check your ego, bra. Your ego is too big. We, 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 it's ego is psychic force. It's psychic force. The more ego you have, the more generous you're going to be. Most people don't know that. 
The more ego you have, the more generous you're going to be. It's not the opposite. When you are desperate of ego, that's when you become selfish. That's when you, the narcissist is one who lacks ego, doesn't have ego. He lacks ego. But we live in a society that hates power, so we've we've transverted, we've inverted these things. So chi is literally your your egoic power. Ego, the the Greek word for that comes back to I am. It's your heart. It's your heart. So all of us live in a society that says your heart energy is bad, that your heart energy is toxic, that you need to check your heart energy and get rid of it. But your heart energy, where all your compassion comes from, all of your abilities to compassionate your opponent are going to come from that. So this chi, this life force, is literally based on how well you receive energy, and more importantly, how well you do not shed energy. We, we live in, a, in an economy where we believe there's no free energy, and in a way there's not. The energy that we create is not free as far as the industrial energy, but you are a living antenna. Your antenna, which needs very little to gather energy, it needs food, it needs clothing, it needs shelter. It has it has needs for sure. But if you look at it, the amount of psychic energy that your antenna gathers just from sitting here is phenomenal. This free energy is collected into you, and that's your chi. Your chi is abundant. And you can waste your chi. Most of us spend most of our lives trying to offload our chi. And if you're wondering why, it's really no different than if you feel super caffeinated, uh, you will instantly feel a desire to want to lose some of that energy, that the, the less practice we have at holding a lot of energy, the more practice we have at finding ways to shed energy. So we shed energy all the time. We talk shit about ourselves. We eat horribly. We uh, uh, act immorally. We, we be sarcastic. All of these things are ways of us shedding our energy in public in a socially acceptable way. Uh, guilt, we have guilt. Uh, that we have shame that sheds our energy too. We're always looking for new economical ways of shedding our energy. Why? Because we're just collect so much of it. We try and eat a lot of salt because it causes inflammation. We try and eat a lot of sugar because it causes inflammation. Why? Because we won't collect as much energy. It cre creates a buffer there. So the capacitor of your spine is always collecting chi. And this chi is simply going to be used or not used depending on how efficient you are as a magician. All of us are magi. All of us are utilizing this magic every single day. Most of it is coming out in the way we talk to ourselves, or more importantly, do not talk to ourselves. Most of us deem it worthy that we would only say words if someone else is in the room. Even though we have something very important that must be uttered for us to hear, we will not utter that because we do not feel worthy enough to utter to our own ears. This is all because we have this certain energy that we have not yet fully claimed. Keep in mind that the more energy you claim, the more the white belts around you will cannibalize you. The more that you have been with someone, you establishing a certain frequency, and then you try and break out of that frequency, the more they will cannibalize you. Most of you will be punished for finding your spine. Most of you will be called heretics for doing the same, which is why most people don't do it. So the journey, the alchemy of this... Uh, 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 hermit life, this hermetical journey is always going to be alone. It's always going to be solo. It's the only way you will build your own energy is to find yourself without any other source of it, right? Losing a girlfriend, having any kind of change in your life, losing a job, being told no because you don't have a certain paper. All these things we look at in a world where we're fearful from red belt, yellow belt, white belt. 
But actually, these losses are exactly where all of our magic comes from. How we treat ourselves during this vitriol is the only time ever, the only time you will ever, ever have to level up. You will never level up when everything's going great. When everything's super duper and you're on the back of the speedboat and you're eating caviar, you're never going to level up there. You will only level up in the graveyard. You will only level up in the hospital. You will only level up when you're buried in your sheets, just crying your fucking eyes out or the worst failures you've had. These are the times where we as magicians level up the most. But when we do not think in terms of Dojo Earth, we find ourselves in victimhood during those times. And that victimhood is just stopping the ability for us to grow. We're literally tearing ourselves apart. Just like in a, in a gym, you would go in with muscles and your muscles... What are they doing? They're ripping their they're ripping tissue from each other. And they're telling you, no, it's okay. I know what I'm doing. And you're trusting your muscles. You're not going, oh my God, what are you? Oh, this is terrible. And you're running home. I, I tore myself. No, that's not what's happening at all. What's happening inside is, is the, the muscles are saying, if we had more room, the more red blood cells that come into this muscle, those would be charged in the heart because the red blood cells get into the heart. And what you're thinking the moment you breathe is charging them in the crucible and they travel down to your muscles. So the more red blood cells are there to flex, the stronger you are. And it literally works that way. But it works that way on every field, whether or not you're writing, if you're live casting, if you're painting, if you're sculpting, whatever it is you're doing, your flow state is going to be directly, directly congruent to the amount of electricity you did not shed through victimhood and the amount of electricity you were able to pour through your red blood cells as you're in flow state expressing your art. This, this idea of being the verb, you know, you're always moving this energy. You're a conduit for it. Right. Versus the white belt, which is like, I don't want energy. I don't want I don't want to be a conduit. Conduits are dangerous. These are different ways of existing in the exact same stream, the exact same source. So is that why you say that we need to build up electricity in our spine? I was trying to understand that. Like the more electricity we build up, does that make us like basically function better? Does that make sense? Or yeah. So the most the most caloric muscle, the most caloric thing you have in your body is your brain. And most of your brain is spending uh, simulating things. So just like a render a video card, it'll run information to the math chip and ask for, for things that really no one really cares about, but it does it. And you do the same thing. So if you're going to worry, then all of your red blood cells that are rushing to your brain are being evaporated in that instant to fulfill uh, the processing requests of that program, that program called worry, the worry algorithm. So you will come up with algorithms to run through your processor to keep the uh, energy down because the overheating will overclock your chip. So it comes up with ways. How can I waste a shitload of energy? And one program, one demon will come up to you and say, I have an idea. I will create a worry algorithm where we will worry about something. And, and, and everyone else is like, I fucking love this idea. This is fucking great. And so you run it and it checks it and turns out it works. Now your conscious being is feeding on the worry algorithm that's running. It's created a circuit inside your head. And now you're, you're spinning and you're losing electricity. You're losing electricity. You're losing electricity. And your capacitor is going down, 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 down. And your core temperature. Oh, oh the warp core is finally cooled. Oh, my God, we're at normal now. Ooh, now you're at normalcy. And down here at normalcy, you're not compassionating anyone. You're not thinking about anyone else in your life except for you. Am I, do I have food? Yes. Do I have clothing? Yes. Do I have shelter? Yes. I'm good. 
when you have more energy, you have no choice but to say, was I a dick? Was what I said rude? Was I mean? And this is higher. This is higher to, 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 to be at that higher state requires more electricity. Most of us just don't want to be there. So yeah, we will purposely shed energy simply to shed our compassion. We will simply worry less. No different than drinking alcohol. You're literally asphyxiating yourself. You're removing the oxygen from your brain because you know your brain will not think as well. And what happens? You feel better. You literally feel better. Because you're, you've licensed yourself to be an asshole. You've turned yourself into the ability to be a sloth who just doesn't give a shit about anything. All of us are doing that all the time. It's expensive to care. It's expensive to have reputation, to have pride, to have ego. Even having ego will get you attacked by people who don't want you to have ego. Because if no one had ego, all of us could live in this hyena kind of lifestyle where we're just food, clothing, shelter. Where we're just competing at this very, very low energy frequency. Wow, that's amazing. I, 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 that, that's, that, that don't make so much sense. I don't have any other questions for you. Is there any other finishing thoughts you wanted to give or anything be, uh, before we finish up for today? Um, I think it's uh, really important that the that you start to look at the things that, that either scare you the most or the most shameful or the most controversial. And to use those as exercises to build your muscle for compassion, because you will find that you're able to hold more electricity the more you exercise that. So uh, just to <clears throat> kind of give an example that's sort of purposely stretching the bounds, uh, compassionating Hitler is an exercise where you're taking something that's super com uh, uh, controversial and you're trying to apply something that you never applied to something before. I just want you to look at the evilest figures that you can imagine in the world and just practice compassionating them. When I say compassionate, I mean, practice thinking why they did what they did. What was their state of their body that they were in? See if you can put your, your body into that state, because if you can do this, you will be able to face any opponent on the mat. The next time you're struggling with someone, try and picture how it is that they would feel this way. What would their posture have to be to have a perspective that you're seeing come out of them right now? When you find that, you're going to start to understand that dealing with people is much more complex than you ever thought it was before. That there is an emotional age level to your opponent on the mat. And when you find that emotional age level, most of the time they, they cease to even be an opponent anymore. Why? Because they've been disarmed. You're, you're simply having a conversation with an emotional seven-year-old. The minute you realize that, the minute you, you stop expecting them to be 30 years old or, or, or whatever you're expecting, you can start to treat them in that way and you shed less electricity, you gain more, you feel better. All of these things, as my final word, the, the, more, the more flow state, the better you feel in your body the better barometer you have that you have more electricity. And the more electricity you have, you will always be more compassionate. You just don't have a choice. Your brain just simply is able to render more. And by rendering more, you're just going to feel more and it's going to make you more compassionate by extension. So that, that's all I got. Wow, that's no, that's really amazing, man. Well, um, if you could tell everybody where to find your books and where to find your website. And thank you so much. This was amazing. Um, sure. I, I do a live stream a couple times a week. It's on YouTube. Um, I've just published my sixth book. It's called The Ark of Baphomet. Um, it just came out in November. Um, I'll just let you look look up my books at your leisure and and let you know let let the listeners decide what what interests them there. But uh, yeah, thanks for the talk. I I really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, this was awesome. And I'll send you a link when I post it. All right, great. I look forward to sharing it. Thanks, James. Nice meeting you.